everyone, and welcome to New Way, a podcast of the 1001 New Worshiping Communities Movement, and part two of my conversation on Holy Week with theologian Sojung Kim. I'm your host, Sarah Hayden. As we said in our previous episode, we are approaching Holy Week at last. One of the things I find most profound about this moment in time are the multiple emotions and occasions that build and stand in contrast to one another. The triumph and desperation of Palm Sunday, the loneliness Jesus felt as those closest to him grew tired of his grief and trauma, the communion and blessing, the trial, the heavy cross, the violence, the chance for solidarity, the last few friends who walk away when death draws near, and the space in between failure and transformation. God knows we have seen most of this in the last 12 months. Some of you have lived it. Some of you showed up to help save people's lives or to help them die, to be with bodies when others of us could not. That sacred and overwhelming privilege. This is the story of Holy Week and of our ancestors and of people around the world, neighbors and strangers and coworkers and friends who bear their unjust share of the world's trauma while many of us, myself included, grow weary at the thought of it all. And just like the accounts of that very first Easter, we get to choose now what we do and how we respond as our story unfolds. Instead of celebrating the Easter, and then instead of feeling the joy of the resurrected body, before doing that, we need to dwell with the Christ in this hell a little bit more before we celebrate the resurrected body of the Christ. In part two of my conversation with Soja, we reflect on the psychological and communal consequences of toxic positivity in our God talk and how we might consider observing Easter differently this year. Let's jump right in. You have found this soul sister in Marguerite Perrette, I think, and I'm wondering what you think drew you to her in the first place. Because there's so many theologians to choose from, and certainly many, many, many theologians have been chosen again and again and again and again. And two weeks ago, when you told me about Marguerite Perrette, I had never even heard her name. Mm-hmm. The school I am studying now was prestigious with that area of mysticism and uh, medieval studies, but I was not a European medievalist. Mm-hmm. And I just happened to attend one of the courses and I always thought that European theology, European discourse are like very scholastic, mm-hmm. very systematic, and very organized, logical. But when I, you know, saw these women's writings, it was like completely different. Like, in a sense, it was so Asian. Hmm. <laughs> it was Asian in a sense because it's irrational or illogical. Hmm. But there is this sense of visceral sense of uh, bodily experience. And then, like, conversation and interactions. I mean, Margaret Porritt is not expressing much about her bodily experience, but other Beguines uh, talk much about their body uh, and then the sensation they are feeling through this experiencing the Christ. And I was like, whoa! <laughs> and also, like, it seems like it, it's irrational, but it is really not. People often divide this reason and feelings, right, Mm -hmm. as is shown in this dialogical uh, Margaret Porrett depicts. But if you look into them closely, they are not really divisive. Mm. Reason and love, at some point, as you said, Sarah, 
Love can be corrective too. So they are entangled. Hmm. So there is this tendency, reason is like this and love is like this. But then they are not also bound to these strict roles and like categories. So it was very non-Western. Yeah. So there's this entangled aspect of it and really like fluid and hybrid. So I just thought that I can maybe read it and then understand it a little uh, more yeah, better than other like systematic, like organized <laughs> categorical theologies or philosophies. Mm-hmm. That's how I began to delve into this. When I introduced that question, thinking about you dr- being drawn to this soul sister, Margaret Perrette, but in a sense that her work being rediscovered again, not that many decades ago, was maybe waiting for a sister like you <laughs> to dialogue with her. Well, by now, there are many, many, like, tons of writings about her, mm. tons of scholars who wrote about her. But then uh, it was really good for me because I could know about Margaret Porrett's work. But then also at the same time, I was able to compare her with other cases in non-Western context. When we release this podcast episode, we'll be journeying closer and closer to Holy Week. I'm wondering when you put yourself in, you know, Sir Sojung's shoes walking through Holy Week, where love will find you and where reason will find you and where your soul will find those partners. Yeah, this morning I heard this podcast of Business Daily and then how people were very, very productive in the beginning of the pandemic, working remotely, working from home. They were just so productive. But then now we've been through this more than a year. People are building up more anxiety, more stress and depression, not to mention. And I think this whole year was like a, yeah, Maundy Thursday, Holy Saturday. Yeah, it was a very long Lent. It actually started off with the Lent last year, 2020. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then we are still going through this. <laughs> yeah. So often we think that the Lent is these 40 days of a year, but then the Lent is happening everywhere, every time, any time in our lives. Throughout this long season of Lent 2020 and 2021, this voice of reason that I have to be productive, I have to produce something, I have to do something, show myself, prove myself. Oh my God, I cannot get fired, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Those voices were constant there. And um, it built up a lot of anxiety and doubts about myself. And then there was also this voice of love. Although, as I said, it cannot really be right? Distinct from reason and Mm. everything. But there was also this voice of love. It's okay. Just be yourself. Be gentle. At some point, I even have to kill the voice of love that I thought that it was the voice of love. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Just like killing Buddha, right? The moment you think that you realize Buddha, you kill the Buddha. And then you search again, because the moment that you think you found the truth, the truth can be idolatry right it can be an idol if you are obsessed about it so yeah this constant process of annihilation was also happening in this journey of 2020 and 2021 a lot Hmm. how long do you give yourself permission 
to sit with the love that you've found before you kill the love? Uh, one hour. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> There's really no fixed amount of time, no, right? <laughs> At this uh, Easter, I want to maybe I want to carefully suggest the Easter should not be so triumphant. Mm. I think the Easter is more like one of many stages of this long season of Lent, not the final like triumphant, yay, everything was yeah. you know done and then we are happy, blah, blah, blah. It's more like the Easter stage should be more like a completely emptied self, bodily resurrection of the Christ and the resurrected body of Christ was completely different, right? From the one before. Mm. And I think we might have to think about that kind of Easter, which went through this uh, wild uh, wilderness of the Lent, and then Maundy Thursday, Good Friday, and Holy Saturday in the purgatory, in the hell, and then uh, the spirit, which is not necessarily very celebratory, but more like vacuum. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I, I carefully suggest maybe we can think of that kind of Easter instead of trumpet get out the brass yes. yeah yeah I'm drawn this year and many in the many years I've been drawn to Mark's gospel for some of those reasons mm -hmm. this sense of women quietly approaching the tomb expecting to anoint Jesus's corpse and to be with him early in the morning as the sun is rising and they find the empty tomb even though in that moment, they're told that Jesus has gone ahead of them. Their reaction to that news is one of, Mark says, terror and amazement. Mm -hmm. That Those simultaneous emotions or physical experiences in some way. Because when I think of terror and amazement, I don't just think an emotion of the head, but I think of the ways in which our body is captured by the mm -hmm. fear, the sweating, mm -hmm. the dilation of the pupils, the mm -hmm. rapid breath. Mm -hmm. It stimulates our senses and we're ready for something, but we don't know mm -hmm. what is coming at us, which is why our senses are heightened. That's a good point and great point actually in relation to this mysticism because mystical practice began because of this concern for this empty tomb, the missing body mm. of the Christ. Mm. And then the body is missing, the body is gone. And how do we experience the Christ? How do we see the Christ? How can we touch? How can we know that the Christ is real? And there's this yearning for uh, searching the body of the Christ, the missing body. Yeah, you're right. Uh, it's terror and amazement. It's not just glad, uh, joy, right? Synthesis. It's, it's, yeah. If it were synthesis, we would be, as human beings, experiencing this I think what we experienced this whole year is this cognitive dissonance where we know where we hope to be and we would like to be and that every waking moment of our lives is in contrast to that ideal. We're in the midst of that and we're working that out together. Yeah, I think that's also a very good point because this year, 2020 and 21, we are experiencing this the missing body. We literally missed so many bodies for the last whole year and we literally do not see each other anymore <laughs> um, somebody said that nowadays they feel this pure absence of presence mm. or vice versa they sense pure presence of the complete absence 
because of all these um, virtual space, we really do not touch. We see each other, but this is really not seeing. Mm. <laughs> so this year is very hard for many of us, but then it's also a good year. Not good, good, but like it's mm. also a meaningful year in a sense that we can maybe feel what it feels like for the Jesus disciples and the woman at the empty tomb to feel this, as you just said, terror and amazement in front of the missing body. Where is the body? Um, wow. Yeah. That's so powerful, Sojung. There's a place on the liturgical calendar that uh, is certainly not highlighted in red or yellow um, by Presbyterian Christians, or I think many of us who follow Christ, uh, which is known as Holy Saturday. And you've been drawn in particular to that that place on the calendar, the place in the life of Christ and in Christ's disciples or the death of Christ. And I'm wondering if you would help us think about that and help us know what that's about. Right. So the uh, Holy Saturday is not much, I mean, remembered among uh, Protestants and not among uh, Presbyterians, as you said. Some of us do Holy Saturday vigils, right? But we are not observing it as much as others do, for example, Episcopalians. But this is actually, I think, most one of the most important <laughs> aspects of the season of Lent. And then it might have to be observed more than Easter in a sense that that's the time when Jesus went down to the hell, right? <laughs> and stayed there. And then there's this theology of Holy Saturday. Uh, for example, Shelley Rambo at Boston University, she wrote this beautiful piece about how this theology of Holy Saturday can uh, speak much about the trauma we are going through. And even though the book was written uh, many years ago, it speaks a lot nowadays to us, especially in this unprecedented time of our contemporaries. So this dwelling and this Holy Saturday and this trauma, just like Reason's death. Actually, I read the passage earlier about Reason's death. Hmm. And then love says Reason will not return, but Reason returns later. <laughs> so just like that, this trauma and this death returns in our lives. That's why we call it trauma, right? It's somewhere in our brain or in our mind. And we bury them up but then we do not know when it will come back again. Hmm. So uh, I think Shelley Rambo in this book uh, highlights the theology of Holy Saturday because without dwelling in that moment, if we just bury them away, there can be no healing happening. So as much as it sounds horrible and horrific, we may need to dwell on it a little bit more than we think. So instead of celebrating the Easter and then instead of like, you know, feeling the joy of the resurrected body before doing that, we need to dwell with the Christ in this hell a little bit more before we celebrate the resurrected body of the Christ. And as I said, instead of celebrating too much about this body resurrected, maybe we should uh, uh, contemplate a bit more about how this body is missing after this uh, traumatic death, uh, dwelling in the hell time mm -hmm. and experience. Mm. I think it speaks much uh, to us nowadays because I feel that Americans don't want to grieve. 
about the loss they experienced for the last year. I, I cannot generalize all Americans, but many Americans... <laughs> That sounds right to me. <laughs> many Americans just don't want to think about the sadness this brings to um, many families. Mm. This is uh, what a famous therapist called toxic positivity. Mm. People say that if you uh, say something about too uh, sad, it's eh, it's killing the mood. Hey, why do you do that? Let's it's laugh again. Do yeah. some humor, right? But no, we sometimes we just need to dwell in that time space of loss and grief until we figure out what does this loss and grief mean to us mm. otherwise it will come back and even after you uh, contemplate those enough it will come back and if you do not address them if you do not face them appropriately it can come back in a very unexpected way and then you are not even aware that it's coming back and I think that also has to do with lots of uh, hate crimes and racisms because people didn't dwell on that issue before long enough. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's a powerful and important word for us for that reason as well. I think Margaret Porret's witness in the dialogue of bringing in love in the soul because when reason dominates, as it does often, I think I'll generalize for the American experience of positing some sort of synthesized, put together, mm -hmm. systematic view of the world, or it makes normative my own intellectual experience and my own life experience and not over against someone else's. And it makes my testimony, that's what's toxic about it, it makes my testimony supreme mm -hmm. but when love enters the story and the dialogue and we can feel and be with love and the soul and and the grief and trauma of our own souls and another souls it reframes right. mm -hmm. yeah. so coming growing up and coming from this korean culture mm -hmm. where people sometimes pray very loud and cry very loud yeah. especially during the funeral like when we lose someone we are just crying out loud like our you know, intestines will come out of our <laughs> mouth. Like, there's really therapeutic power in that. Mm -hmm. When we suppress that kind of uh, grief, which is very uh, weighty and then heavy, we will have to carry those weight without really recognizing it. And that's really, really sad and like also scary because you never know how that, how can I say, the ghost will haunt you again in the future. Do you have a a way in which you plan to observe Holy Saturday this year, personally? Yeah, I think I will just cry out loud. And I will do that maybe some theatrical way, but... <laughs> that opens up that space inside of us, though, to yes. do it in a real way. <laughs> yeah. Right. Thank you for the gift of opening up places in ourselves through your your own meditations, your thoughtfulness, your willingness to not only, as you say, think about these things, but to to be in these spaces. To me, it is what makes your own God talk so transformative and powerful. So Jung, I'm so thankful to have you as a friend and colleague. Thank you. I'm just doing a small digital church, everyday God talk, and new worshiping community is like a mega church for me. So. <laughs> I feel very honored to be invited here and then thank you so much, Sarah. 
And Marthame. The fabulous Marthame Sanders. Yes. Friends, we are back next week with another episode featuring new worshiping community leader and pastor, Rola Alashkar, a native of Lebanon, who shares songs and rhythms and reflections on Holy Saturday as we imagine opening up a new space for our hearts this year together. Thank you for listening to New Way, the podcast of the 1001 New Worshiping Communities Movement. Our producer is the fabulous Martha M. Sanders. You can see stories and photos from the humans who make up this movement on Instagram at 1001NWCPCUSA. Be sure to click subscribe wherever you found this podcast so you don't miss an episode. Our growing community streams from Spotify, Google Play, Apple Podcasts, and Stitcher, and online at newchurchnewway.org. Catch you next time.